you are listening to The Cumberland Road, and I am your host, TJ Melanowski. Wayling Pritchett is a Cumberland Presbyterian minister and a licensed counselor in Denver, Colorado. She generously shares of herself with me while taking some time off with her family in Nebraska. Our conversation is a beautiful and refreshing journey, one of longing and yearning for someone to come alongside her. We talk about growing up in mainland China, arriving to the United States, finding faith, complexity of cultural identity and the need and the importance of counseling ministry. Enjoy part one of my conversation with Wayling Bridget. Hello, Wayling. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, TJ. It's such an honor to me. Thank you. So we were talking off mic that you have recently, almost a year ago, started uh, counseling as your ministry, and that was part of your calling. Could you talk about what counseling ministry is and what that looks like? Uh, Sure. Um, I wouldn't say I have very good understanding uh, yet. Um, This is a journey that I walked uh, with the Presbytery um, Preparing Committee for about six years uh, about what my calling really is. That was a time uh, when I just finished my MDiv school. I was searching for a call. I joined um, a church that belongs to Cumberland Presbyterian Church. So I was invited to come on board. I was accepted as a candidate. Um, That started a six-year journey searching for my call. So I shared my passion. I said, I would really like to sit with people one-on-one to just really go down to where they are, whatever struggles they're going through and, and hear through and see how I can be that kind of agent um, for people, for God to use for people in that place and, and come out of there. And I would say faith will be a foundation, but I also feel that there is so much more that's needed for people in that place. I feel like I myself went through that place and I longed and I desired for somebody to come alongside, able to address even depressive moods, even relational conflicts, Uh, some of the very raw um, and difficult feelings and emotions, not just telling me what the scripture says and not just telling me what my um, cognitive conviction saw, but more so just staying with me. So um, Marty Gurin, Reverend Marty Gurin uh, was um, leading that uh, group and he asked really good questions. And um, along the way, uh, we felt like it was, a calling to go back to school, to take on professional counseling, and then um, come out of it to to really help integrate um, faith and um, counseling uh, into a type of that kind of ministry that I'm passionate about. So that is what I went through. 
Um, this is where I am. So my understanding of counseling ministry uh, is still quite limited, but now I see that space as such a sacred space really for me to hold for another person um, that eventually we will all be open to receive the light and love of God into the places that still uh, is filled with pain and hurt and even uh, a lot of negative thoughts, just the places where um, God's light and love still need to go in. And sometimes it's so hard to walk through that journey alone. And I see myself as that kind of midwife or agent to be there for that person so that eventually we'll have way more space in each other. I, when I say each other, because I see that impact on me as well, to see that work happen, that God's love and light uh, is going to permeate more and more as we become more and more open in his presence. So that's, in a nutshell, is how I see what the counseling ministry uh, is for me to get into. How do you make uh, an individual feel comfortable to be able to share some of the pains and the fears and the loss that have brought you or brought them to you in the first place? I would imagine that there's a level of anxiety, maybe even resistance to begin to open up to someone that is essentially a stranger, a professional but a stranger nonetheless? That's a really good question. It also has been a journey. I would always feel not qualified. That is such a sacred space. That is such a personal matter. Um, who am I? Who am I to be there and to poke around and for these uh, <laughs> um, areas, right? For people that they are so sometimes it's so painful to open and sometimes people are so afraid to open up because um, they will feel like I will uh, break down, I will really lose the sense of myself. So this is a really good question. Um, I, I think a, a few things that come uh, are coming to my mind. One is that I do uh, disclosure according to the time and um, the moment, whether it is um, a, a call for, I would share that, hey, I am no better and I've gone through this and this is a very, very uh, hard and difficult place, a unique place. And, and I had a land for such a space and this is a place where I so totally is yours, that is not mine, um, that is really what God has ordained um, for, for us to sit together. If they would really confess God, the same triune God, um, if that's not the case, I usually don't even bring up. So, so I do use um, personal disclosure as appropriate. I, I do in my mind um, made the made the determination that it is about that person. It is about that whole holistic about that person, that person's pain, that person's resilience, that person's um, image uh, of God in that person as God has made that person. And um, I, I, I see that I'm not really the person to make the change. I really see myself as the whatever you call it. I've already used the agent, midwife, or facilitator for that process to take place. Um, but 
at that time, how important it is just for two people to relate to each other um, gradually with trust, with openness. And I will take the time. There is no rush. I don't impose that um, client or that person sets um, the, the, the pace. Um, it takes whatever long it needs to take, and that's totally okay with me. Um, and, and this is pretty amazing that over time, especially with confessing Christians, um, that usually takes a, actually takes place pretty quickly. I feel like after a few meetings, we just feel so much more comfortable with each other. And, and that process also goes gradually deeper and deeper. Weiling, what have you learned about the human personality in the counseling ministry? What has stood out that you have discovered about us as a, this very interesting creation in the universe? What stands out to you in, in this field of ministry? Just, I, yeah, the, the first word coming to my mind is just sacred. Just each life is so sacred. Each person uh, is the life itself, uh, uniqueness in their unique background, in their unique upbringing, in their unique uh, cultural, ethnic uh, heritages, and everything, all of this, I feel like uh, the overall word is just very sacred. But a lot of people don't see that. This is also a journey that God has um, brought me through to see the sacredness of it. And I think that does generate all the awe inside of me, because really who um, they belong to in essence, uh, who God really is, who has made, created each life as unique as each individual um, has in front of me. Um, So for human life, the first word is just really um, sacredness. It generates awe in me. Um, And also in many, many ways, also very broken. It's just very sad to see, and that's another reality. Um, But that sense of brokenness does not despair me because of what my own faith, and I know the potential, and I know um, what God also has um, presented to us, present available, the salvation and, and the hope there. So sometimes people don't see that, even Christians can be so caught up in a very broken situation and and just feel so low and so lonely and so hopeless. So second, yeah, is the sense of brokenness. And and, I mean, ultimately, what I have already shared is that that's not the ultimate answer either. There is a way. There is redemption. There is wholeness that God, over time, can um, bring us through towards that. So, um, yeah, three things come into my mind. Yeah, I I think that people are both fragile and strong or fragile and courageous by seeking out counseling in the listening ear in that sacred space in search of understanding and healing. And I, I see our Christian faith as addressing those, but to be able to have another's undivided attention in a professional way to kind of help guide that it's in some ways it could be seen as the role of the pastor and a role of an evangelist 
at the same time? It, yes, I would use this as a more like a bottom up approach. Mm-hmm. Um, the churches are doing great, really great preaching and teaching and coming alongside in a lot of activities and, and a lot of ways to nurture uh, as a congregation or sometimes groups, smaller groups. So a lot of that we receive as a kind of top-down method. And we really need that. We need to hear, we need to receive, and we need to really um, digest and re- let the word sink and really be a part of us. And we don't have it. We need to receive. Um, that absolutely is uh, true. But on the other side, this counseling ministry is more like a bottom-up approach. Um, it is what is already there inside because of upbringing, because of intergenerational impact, because of situations. So there's already a lot here down if we don't really address over here and we just don't really have a good buffer or container to receive what God desires for us to have because it's it's just so shallow it, it just goes away and what's there already um, deep in the body a lot of times still get its way almost like what Paul was saying I feel like there's some kind of law at work in my body that I don't do what I want to do and I don't want to do I do so I see the bottom up approach addressing some of the deeper issues that are not in the consciousness but people know there that we need to have that kind of very dedicated time and a space to go deeper and address it and really let it go and release it so that God's message, God's love, God's light will have more and more of the container inside of us. I would say get more of us each time. Weiling, what life experiences have led you to the counseling ministry? I want to say there are many um, experiences, but um, I'll maybe start a little bit with my upper brain. So I um, was born and raised in a small village in mainland China, the eastern coast of mainland China. I have a younger brother who is three years younger than me. My parents were rice farmers, um, farmers back then over there. They plant rice as the main food. Um, both of my parents are uneducated. My dad had a, um, a middle school education, which already was uh, pretty good in comparison to his peers. So um, upon um, my upon the high school time, I was one summer I was planting rice in the rice field, and and somehow I just really felt like this is not the life I would like to continue to live, just like my parents, just stay in the village and and planting rice all lifelong and and, um, have family and have children. And somehow that summer, when I was um, right about to start my senior year in high school, I, I become pretty restless, just bending my back, planting rice in the hot water on a very hot summer day. So that was a moment, well, we call it epiphany or whatever I call this. I really call it a God's counseling session with me on that rice field that um, I see that high school is my critical year Mm -hmm. to study well and hard and try to 
do well in the college entrance examinations. College entrance examinations uh, were, and still I think are, the way for uh, a lot of people like me in the village, in the countryside to go to the city to get, receive education. So that's what happened to me. I did pretty well um, in the exams and I got a chance to um, go to college, which was unimaginable to, uh, my parents and a lot of villagers back then in the late 80s uh, of last century. So that opened up um, an opportunity for me to receive education and I majored in English and I uh, had a teachers, Westerners as my English teachers. And I felt like their lectures, their uh, lessons opened up a door for me to read uh, things, um, not of Mandarin, not of Chinese, and to realize that there is a very different way of thinking, different way of life. Um, but I was so saturated still in that uh, culture, in that uh, culture thinking and a ways. It was very refreshing, but that was only uh, the initial seed planted in me. So after I got married and my uh, daughter was born, I was living in uh, Hangzhou, um, the capital city of the province where I was born. Uh, that was a time I started really searching, asking questions about um, what life is really about, how to really deal with relationships, how to really, I didn't know, I didn't know how to put the words there. It, it's really the rest of the heart and the soul that was I was searching, but I had no idea. So as a girl growing up, I was important to my parents, but I always feel that I just was not as important as my brother because that was a tradition. Everybody accepted it. And that was how my parents and the villagers think. So I didn't make a big deal out of it, but so I think that e was so even, impactful. So even though you were the first child, the eldest child, it was your younger brother who took precedence or Receive the special care or attention from your mom and dad? True. We always say that the boy carries on the name of the family. So girls will go out and marry. So who the girl really is, well, you will belong to another family. You will do whatever you need to do and you need to do well for another family. So that was always the expectation. So looking back, identity where home is, uh, these are the things that I was struggling, I believe, in my teenage years and even early 20s. Uh, I just didn't know what was really the concepts, the realities I was struggling. So back then, uh, newly uh, new family, a young daughter, um, that was the time I started to ask these questions. There was not much to approach except some of the Buddhism literature in China, because um, in China, the traditional thoughts or religions, Taoism, um, uh, Buddhism, and also Confucianism. And Confucianism was, and I would believe still is, very much in the DNA of the culture. It's very hierarchical. Um, it is a, some kind of order that everybody is expected to follow regardless of uniqueness, a different individuality. Um, so the only literature I could approach was uh, 
Buddhism literature. So I took some and I started a reading and I realized that the core part of the uh, Buddhism uh, literature or Buddhism uh, as a religion is that or your desire to love and be loved and, and that it's just the, the root of pain and suffering. And, and the idea is to empty yourself and empty your desires so that you do not live with so many desires. And I start to wonder, how can that even happen? Um, because that's just a part of me and that is a reality of life. So somehow after just a short period of searching through the Buddhism literature, I just realized that that was not for me. Mm-hmm. I do not think that as a reality, I can have the power to have that removed so that I can live a life that is emptied. Then what is left of me and what is of me? So so that um, didn't uh, work out. So that that was a time that I was talking to uh, my husband back then and said, well, there is something called the American dream. Let's go and pursue that. So I finally persuaded him. We came to America uh, through, through his schooling that he was offered um, research assistantship um, at a university in New Jersey. So that's how we came to America. Um, so let me, I know that, go, go ahead. Yeah. So you had this ambition. I, I'm beginning to get this picture of, of you and all this yearning and these quest, questions as, as a teenager and into a young adulthood and then convincing your husband, let's go seek this dream. Let's go find some answers and find comfort and solace and it may be somewhere else. And um, it took a little while to convince your your husband. So what was the convincing point? Was it the opportunity to to work in the United States? I kind of cut you off, so. No, no worries, no worries. That's a really good question. Um, first of all, China adopted opening and reform policy, I think in the early 80s. So by the early 90s, um, when when both my husband and I started working our jobs, we had known quite many um, classmates like his classmates and and some of the people from our university. We we had known them um, already going through that journey that um, they would graduate, they would try to apply for a field uh, to go on with a doctoral study. And that was also the time that the government would encourage at least not not in, at least to be open with um, that. Um, so quite many um, people that we knew already went through that journey, and mainly is because he and I were both uh, born and raised in the countryside, uh, while living in the city. We just felt like we didn't know anybody, and that society only operates with contacts with the, the fact that who you know, and for any opportunities. And we almost felt like we could see our future down the road, just being there and very limited, and um, not knowing anybody, you just expected to teach, for him to teach physics, for me to teach English, just this classes, uh, courses all the time. And we had no, no idea life could, how life could be different. So this is how, yeah, that these two points is how, what I used to persuade him and see, look, we don't, um, 
Um, we don't know anybody. We don't really have opportunities. I don't know how life would be like. What do you think how this can be different? Look at your friends. They 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 got these opportunities. So, yeah, that's how it happened. It did take a while. Okay, and then I interrupted you. So you come to the that's United right. States, and what happens? So the very very first day. Um, my daughter and I arrived at a JFK and my husband and um, a brother uh, in the church that um, came to the airport to pick us up. And it was uh, right before Thanksgiving holiday. So very quickly, um, almost just the next day, we were introduced to um, the, the Christians, the Chinese Christians in the, in the church that that brother picked us up. Um, they 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 were still fairly new Christians themselves. Um, they they came just maybe a little bit before us, and they heard the gospel and they believed, and and they are very they were very involved in serving the newcomers. So that was really amazing to uh, meet with them right away and to go to those. Um, evangelistic activities and later on because for the first several months I had nothing to do and I they kept come to um kept coming to pick me and my daughter up and I was just sitting uh in the congregation on Sundays and and gradually hearing more and more of the whole picture of the gospel now were you aware of the Christian faith prior? I mean, had you had prior experiences or was there a general awareness of the Christian church? Or was this your first exposure to the good news of Jesus Christ? I had no understanding at all. No one in my family were a Christian. Um, I did know that a Christian church, or, or I want to say church building, did exist even in the countryside of, of of my hometown, uh, occasionally I were uh, I would hear so and so uh, were attending the church over there, and I even attempted to sit there for half an hour, but nothing really went into my mind, went into me. So you're new to the United States, and part of your transportation is these new Christians to help get you around and acclimated to the, this new community. Um, so talk more about, about being introduced to the Christian faith and sitting in worship experiences. What were you thinking during those moments? Yeah, the, the initial experience was just uh, shocking. A, a huge contrast to my uh, mindset that was very atheistic and very culturally saturated uh, based on the Chinese culture. Um, it, it, it's a huge contrast, but somehow I was just so attracted by these Christians. I, I think it was more demonstrated by these people what the uh, gospel is than really my own direct understanding of what the gospel is. I, I realized that these fairly new Christians, they came from China. They had gone through very similar education like mine. They had been impacted by the uh, uh, social and cultural expectations just like I was. So what is different in these people? Seems like now they are not as anxious. Now they are just having 
experiencing so much peace and their language is different, their manner is different. It, it was very attractive to me. Um, I didn't know I was really seeing that until now I could realize that something in them that attracted me, that was different, and that kept me just wanting to be in relationship with them. And if they offered to just to sit with me and sometimes just share about Bible stories with me, and I would sit with that particular that lady named Diane. She was from Shanghai. She came just a few years earlier, but she would come to visit. She would just say, you know, you have nothing. Really, I had nothing to do back then. My daughter was fairly young, four years old. So she would stop by. Um, she'll share a conversation and then she, she will share her journey. She will share some of the, really, the Bible stories, which was fascinating. She'll tell the story of Joseph, uh, what, what Joseph went through. So that was really uh, attractive to me. So I realized that gradually that did um, um, lay some seed in my heart. And, but then life got busy and I um, went to school as well. And then later I moved to Colorado for a job, but somehow it was just very natural for me to be connected with a local Bible study group of Chinese. When you relocated to Denver, how did you find other Chinese Christians, other Chinese disciples? And at that point, when you relocated, would you have called yourself a Christian at that time? Or were you still seeking? Were you still asking questions? I I, I would say I was still seek, a seeker seeking. And it, it was very easy to find the, uh, uh, the, the Chinese Christians. So I moved to Boulder. I um, found a place, to uh, an apartment to share with um, another Chinese lady. She has a daughter as well. So I... Um, um, brought my daughter with me, and uh, um, she uh, she was attending one of the small local Chinese churches just in the Boulder area. So it was very natural just to go visit the church with her, and she also introduced me to this um, Chinese um, Bible study group. Um, I, I know Colorado isn't one of those places where we have a lot of uh, people from Asia or from uh, China, but still there, there's a pretty good size. So it was just very natural to join the Bible study group, um, not only externally through the relationship with my roommate, but also internally, just feeling that that is a wonderful and a good thing to go to do. For the Bible study, knowing that China has multiple languages, Cantonese, Mandarin, and maybe there's more. You can add to that. Um, what language is spoken during the Bible studies while you're there in Boulder? Yeah, we were mainly speaking just um, standard Mandarin, and we had uh, people from Taiwan and from mainland China, I mean, maybe even some from Hong Kong, um, but majority uh, of the time it's Mandarin. Young people probably were speaking English as it was just more natural for them to speak English because of their schooling and their life experiences. So uh, language-wise, there was no difference, but culturally there uh, there are some minor differences, especially between uh, people from meaning China and people from uh, Taiwan or, or Hong Kong and somewhere else. Um, 
But mainly the group that I associated with, a majority of them were from mainly China. A lot of them were scholars, scientists working um, at a CEO Boulder or studying there as well. So you went through a lot of changes in your life in a relatively short period of time because you had moved to the United States and then you moved within the United States and you're still seeking, you're still exploring this Christian faith and you're finding a sense of community there where maybe the other aspects of your life is still unknown or unanswerable or unsettled. So talk more about what that was like and and maybe what kind of solace you were finding among this faith community? This is such a good question. So um, I moved to Colorado in 2002. Between 2002 and 2008, um, during the six years, um, my family, uh, my husband back then, and um, uh, my, my daughter, and we also, um, we, we all uh, moved to Boulder and we got our first home and, and um, we also um, had, had another a child, uh, a son, and he was born in 2007. So it seems like something like what we call the American dream is really coming true. We had our own home, which was unthinkable while back in China. Uh, we got our own jobs and cars, and we um, ha- have had an extra child that we would not have uh, if we were in China. And we also started our green card uh, application process and we were just waiting for final step. So it seemed like all these items that we would number uh, our fingers all coming true. And that did uh, bring some comfort to some degree. Uh, and in the community, a lot of people were very similar in, in, in the journey, in their experiences. So we did have that part of community, not huge, but 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 pretty good size. And we share a lot of our spare time together with them. So in a way, it was uh, very stable. Um, it, it was, uh, comparatively speaking, more settled period of time in comparison to what we were going through earlier. But on the other side, very quickly, something started really for me to realize that these are the things that they don't stay and they don't satisfy. I had moved from the village to the city, the city to America, to East Coast, from East Coast to here now in Colorado, as if I am searching for something. And I feel like I have searched all that I could. And then what else? And on top of that, um, realize very quick, realizing very quickly that nothing really stays, right? And then with two children, one is becoming a teenager girl and she was very difficult. And I realize now how much she was struggling in terms of her identity and her value conflicts she experienced in home and outside of home. And a young son, he was an infant and then toddler and took need a lot of um, energy and care. And we invited my mother-in-law to come. And she was a practicing Buddhist. And I started to realize that spiritual warfare was very real and challenging. And um, my marriage relationship, we, we always tried to work through for the common goal that we want to settle and want to make a good life for our family. All came out, all these 
relational communication issues, relational conflicts, emotional conflicts, seemed like the 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 dream seems like was not really solidified to any period of time. It was almost feeling like a vapor that we that were our target for a long, long time. And all of a sudden, there's this whole mess of issues in front of us. That was a time that I really started asking questions. Lord, Lord, where is the power of your word that is supposed to be sharper than double-edged sword? Why that is not working in my life? Where is that abundant life that you promised for us? I was really asking these questions with a lot of emotions, a lot of crying out. Um, what, what is it? What does this mean? I have been attending church and reading your word and even sometimes leading and teaching a little bit with church groups. But deep down, Lord, where is really the power? Why am I still living a life this way? Almost to a degree, it's worse. Before I was oblivious, I was just living in my own sinful ways. And now it's almost like internal and external condemnation that you're a horrible person. You're not living out uh, what you believe in. Uh, and it, almost like a hypocrite. It, it, it was a very, very hard place. I would say spiritually my lowest place. But that was really the moment the Lord revealed himself to me. And I heard him say, well, you have all these struggles because you wanted to put your feet in both worlds. I was really startled realizing that I have these thoughts in me. And I just kind of almost turned around. Lord, is that you who are speaking to me? And then I realized, I say, I, I admit that is the case. I have been trying to live in two worlds. And I know that this is going to do, is going to be failing. It's doomed to fail. Then that was really a very critical moment in my life, in my spiritual journey, in every way. So, so that period of time, I, I really turned and I said, the Lord, I do not know anyone else who could really give me a hope. At least I could really just to try you out. I'm yielding this seat, this driver's seat to you, and I'm just going to follow. And you lead me and you help me. So that was a very kind of pretty a real version of surrendering that, that took place. And, and the Lord was so faithful. There were just those very different moments, big or small, that really helped me see that he was present, he was leading me through, and he was also teaching me and, and shaping me along the way. So that period of time was very intensive, spiritually very intense. That surrendering that she mentioned was that a gradual giving away of yourself or was it just immediate? How long was that time period? And let's live here for a moment, if you don't mind, of the changes that were happening within you and how your perception of the world was changing, including your relationships, the current ones you had and the new ones that you were making. 
that that didn't happen over over time, but surely pretty consolidated over a period of time. For for example, um, that same year after I realized all this, I went back to that retreat where I was converted. I went. That's called um, Colorado Christ, Chinese Christian Retreat that takes place every Memorial Day weekend. They will book a conference place in Estes Park uh, inside the Rocky Mountain National Park. So it, it, it's a it's a beautiful place, and they always invite uh, speakers uh, for three day conference. So um, I I was there pretty much every year in those years. So that particular year, I um, went there, and and I was not supported. I, I went with my daughter I don't think my husband went so I was realizing that that's all everything's okay I can just go and um, there will be really good people to take care of these kids in the uh, the kids ministry so I sat through three days I felt like that retreat everything was speaking to me and I was taking in very intently and and things just were moving inside of me so by the end of the third day there was an auto call. And, and as usual, I had witnessed that before in the previous retreat sessions. So that day, I didn't know what happened as if there was some power leading me and I just couldn't help it. So I went up, I went to the auto call and then the um, speaker um, prayed for me by placing uh, his hand, uh, these pastors and the speaker, they um, prayed for Orifice who went up by placing the hand on our head. And then I went back to my seat and I just started to wonder, Lord, what had just happened? So in the next few months, I kept asking this question. I just said, Lord, I hope this is not just a joke or just a show, walking up, being prayed on and come back and nothing happened in my life. I felt like something pretty substantial that has happened, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what is ahead, but I just said, Lord, I just don't want that to be a joke and you do what you see as fit. And also, meanwhile, the idea about ministry. So the prayer was very specific, praying for these people to go and into the ministry for Chinese people. Um, so I, I just realized that, Lord, if you're truly calling me to a ministry, that means I might need to go to a seminary. Oh, that means that I may not be supported. That may not be recognized as, as, as your call. So that really opened up um, a lot of a lot of questions. So I made a commitment. I just said, Lord, okay, um, you take me to a seminary that you see fit. I just need a job there that you will prepare so that I can just as your way of providing for me. And if my husband would allow me to take the children with me, I would do that. I trust that I can do that. Otherwise, if he would not allow, that's okay with me as well. So um, a lot of shaping along that way as a surrendering. At first, I thought I would be called to somewhere in Pennsylvania. I felt like the job was just for me. There was a seminary. I read their history. It was just wonderful. I even um, had an interview on the on the phone and I felt like um, it, it could really work. And I even shared a little bit with uh, some of the church people. But I was given a no, I was denied. So that was a struggle. 
And I just felt like, Lord, you had to give me some assurance. But at the end, you said this is not so. And I felt like I lost a face in front of my Christian uh, friends. They felt they already were doubting. Like, really? Is this really God is calling you? Like, no one is really seeing that happening. We, we feel like you should really devote your time to, to for your family, for your children. And, and we see there are issues, uh, obviously. So so it was uh, one of the, those moments, really kind of learned in a hard way to surrender. Mm-hmm. And, and the Lord, the Lord used um, the word to um, really convince me that, okay, Lord, it doesn't matter if I lost the faith, that the gift you're giving me is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to those who would submit. So that was very, very relieving to me to say, okay, Lord, I submit. If that's not your will, that's okay. I don't mind what other people are thinking. So I'm just giving you a little bit snippet of these different moments, how the um, lesson to learn to surrender had taken place. Here, we will pause my conversation with Wei Ling. The next episode will continue where we left off. To close, I thought I would share some words from the French philosopher Amin Malouf in his book, In the Name of Identity. Everything that has to do with fundamental rights, the right to live as a full citizen on the soil of one's fathers, free of persecution or discrimination, the right to live with dignity anywhere, the right to choose one's life and loves and beliefs freely while respecting the freedom of others, the right of free access to knowledge, health, and a decent and honorable life. None of this, and the list is not exhaustive, may be denied to our fellow human beings on the pretext of a preserved belief, an ancestral practice, or tradition. In this area, we should tend towards universality and even, if necessary, towards uniformity because humanity, while it is also multiple, is primarily one. Mm. 